Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 60 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 60, Scott and I will be talking about the meet that was the first ever uh, P&W virtual quiz meet, possibly the first ever virtual quiz meet ever. Well, we just, just did that this last Friday and Saturday, and so we'll talk about the cool things and interesting things and learning things that we got out of that experience. And then we will move into a series of discussion topics uh, led by Scott, things that kind of are sort of big picture philosophical stuff regarding quizzing and the nature of quizzing year over year and so forth. So with that being said, we will just kind of jump right in with the virtual quiz meet recap. So Scott, you were involved, um, you know, normally, so I was, I was the, I was a quiz master and I guess meet director, you were the, um, head and only, um, statistician, uh, during the, uh, the virtual meet. So, uh, from your perspective, how did you think, think, how did you see things going? I think they went a lot better than what I was expecting. And um, we, we did have a few fewer quizzers than we were hoping. There were 25 to 30 quizzers, so we were able to build eight teams, one short of that perfect nine number. Um, but technologically, it went really, really well. I don't think we had lots of problems with quizzers not being able to connect or anything like that. There were definitely some initial questions, but probably not totally dissimilar than you would find even at a normal quiz meet with how do pads work and things of that nature. So I think it was, it was pretty great. There weren't lots of crazy connection issues or things that you had to figure out mid meet. So I think it was great from all of those respects. Yeah. From my perspective, I think it definitely was better than I expected. I, I was sort of expecting something that would be fun, a little on the chaotic side. I wasn't even really completely confident like Friday afternoon before we got started, whether like we'd actually finish out Saturday. So like a part of me was wondering if things got really, really messy, we might finish out Friday and say, okay, it was fun, but it didn't really work out at scale and, and maybe cancel Saturday. But it turned out like things progressed really well, like shockingly well. Like we were, we were on time. There was good communication. Um, like all the logistics just worked out incredibly smoothly quizzers. Uh, there was at least a, a, somebody created a, um, like a quizzer hangout, uh, in, in Slack. And there were these little like tic-tac-toe and chess games and little memes getting thrown back and forth between quizzers when they were between, uh, quizzes. And that was, that was great to see, um, or slightly scary to see probably both. Um, so, I mean, there, there was some stuff that was missing. Like I, I was describing it to a few folks, uh, afterward as, uh, the, the sort of the sport of quizzing is, is missing, right? So, you know, if there's somebody who, uh, isn't, isn't necessarily a top tier quizzer and they end up getting a third quizzer bonus, uh, you know, on question 18, usually the room erupts in cheers and so forth and lots of high-fiving and so forth. And of course, those sort of events happened in terms of the third quizzer bonus, but the room was completely silent. Um, it was just, it was just weird. You know, it was definitely sort of the, the cheer aspect of it, the energy aspect of it, the non quizzing, non verbal, and sometimes even verbal relationship stuff was, was, was definitely missing. And it felt kind of eerie for that not to be there, but, that being said, there were still, you know, when people were jumping and getting questions, I noticed in some of the Saturday quizzes, actually, I think all of the Saturday quizzes, you had a bunch of coaches and other quizzers typing in uh, ch uh, cheering sort of comments in the in the text comment threads in Zoom, uh, even though maybe vocally those didn't exist. Yeah, it was really cool to see people adapt to the, I guess, venue or platform that they were given. We had all of the normal quizzer hangout stuff just virtually. And we had all of that congratulating stuff just virtually. And people were not instructed to do it. They just figured it out because they wanted to. And that was cool. And I was, I think for a district meet, you could potentially hold it all virtually. Eyeballing, it, it can be dangerous to assume you know what the scores would be because quizzers always surprise you. But 
eyeballing the scores it seemed to match the quizzers that both have done well so far this year, but also it matched the quizzers that seemed to know the material the best as they were quizzing virtually, which was kind of cool. I didn't know how much the technology was going to affect how the scores shook out, and I don't know that it affected it that much. Yeah, and it may it may have only it only affected it a minimalistic amount due to the small number of of quizzers who were participating and the level of quizzing that we were doing potentially uh the fact that we were meeting up after uh you know a break from our previous quiz where we were thinking maybe we weren't even going to do this meet you know kind of thing uh and this meet was kind of thrown together I, not at the last minute, but but certainly not with the kind of anticipation that you have from, you know, for a, like a full month and a half or something like that from a previous meet. So, you know, were the quizzers who did show up, did they study quite as much? Did they have quite as much control of the material as normal? Maybe not. Um, it was a smaller group. So you put all that together, maybe jumping speeds were, to to quote one of the quizzers, not kamikaze sort of speeds. Uh, but then kind of flip that around and say, well, what happens if you scale this? Uh, what if you scale to the entire district? What if it's expected that this is going to be sort of the mode for the next meet? So, you know, quizzers prepare, we have all quizzers involved, uh, or even take it even further scaling. What happens if we do a virtual Great West or a virtual internationals? Do you get to a point, and I don't even think it's a do you, I think the answer is definitely yes, but it's, I guess it's more at what point do you see jumping, quote unquote, the, the nature of jumping in a virtual context change to a point where it becomes almost random? Um, I don't think we saw the, I don't think we got to that point in the virtual meet this last weekend, but I can, I can absolutely see that happening at, at sort of an international level. Yeah. I think in general, the differences between a quizzer who averages an 80 and a 50 and a 20 and a zero, those are large enough that in virtual quizzing, those differences are going to remain. Now the differences between an 80 quizzer and a 70 quizzer, though I, I, I'm wary as to whether those same sorts of gaps and uh, rankings will actually be the same under virtual quizzing or, or whether there might be a lot more randomness and variation um, due to the technology. Yeah, indeed. All right. So on to discussions. This first one, you know nothing about. So you probably know that if a quizzer on a reference question or a quote question, if a quizzer jumps on just the book name, a foul is awarded as opposed to the jump. Am I correct in that? Um, I believe you are correct and I don't like it. It's it's been one of my my niggling rule book change ideas that's been in the back of my head for a long time that I just I don't see the difference between say jumping on a book name and and jumping on a a, a, a reference name or a, a reference of a number but I guess that's beside the point but yes you are correct I guess reference questions and quote questions are the outliers in that they have part of the question right after the quizmaster says that final question um, that is not from the material, right? The according right. to and quote, there's no other question type that does that, right? Because for a situation question, all that preamble is before the quiz master calls a question, and then they're just reading a quotation. Um, so if a quizzer jumps on just the book name, a, a foul is awarded, but if they jump on the chapter number, then a jump is awarded. So would you be in favor of if a quizzer jumps even on a core, they a jump would be awarded to them? Just anything after the word question? Well, I don't know. I can see the argument, right? I think I think the argument comes down to, let's say you're jumping on Matthew, right? So let's say ne it's next year, and it's a quote question, and you jump on, uh, you know, it's a, it's a quote question, and it's a quote math, and you jump, right? And you're like, okay, well, there's no way unless you're just utterly completely guessing uh to be able to get the to get the right verse right at that point whereas the 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 argument could be but if i get you know chapter 2 verse s you know and somebody jumps and it's is it a 6 or a 7 
and you're basically only guessing between you know, like the probability of guessing is now one in two or you know one in three depending upon the the, the beginning of the mouse shape versus one in what two thousand however many verses are in Matthew I don't even remember right so it basically takes the probability from something that is, that is potentially guessable to something that is you know plausibly non guessable right. Um, and I, I think that might be the motivation between the foul versus the, the award, the jump and force a guess, but I don't know that it really matters. Like to me, it's just, it's, it's you either jump and you have enough material and you get, or you don't, and you get lucky or not. Like, I just, I don't see the, the fundamental difference. Yeah. I think the motivation might've been a good one, but in implementation, it starts to feel weird, right? Because... I mean, it is on the only two questions where part of the material, the material is not the first thing read, but um, yeah, anyway, but my question was, and I guess I'm calling you out because I saw you throw out a question after I believe you had awarded a foul. So I always thought that if we're only awarding a foul, if a quizzer jumps on the book name, then we shouldn't be replacing the question. Ooh, oh, you, oh, because you in the virtual meet. Actually... Technically, in the virtual meet, what happened is you stumbled on the reading of the book name and then replaced the question. That but is true. I did I do that. I am drawing a parallel between between that scenario and a quizzer jumping on a book name and being awarded a foul. My This is definitely an interpretation, but my interpretation of the rulebook was if, it's, if this is only awarding a foul, we're going to keep the same question that I was reading because we basically deemed the book name to not be like significant information. <laughs> Oh, I see where you're going. Yeah. So that's a, a, yeah, right. And I, in that context, I totally agree. So like, and this sort of, this is why I don't like the rule because it sort of changes between seasons. So next year, Matthew, right? If I stumbled over reading of Matthew, right? You know, a quote, math, oh, wait, let me say that again, right? I wouldn't toss out the question because every question is going to be every quote question is going to be quote Matthew something. Right. Whereas in this particular case, it was, uh, and I remember the exact situation, you know, it was quote Hebrews, or I think, was it a reference question or a quote question? Maybe it was a reference question. I think it was a I reference think it was question. A, okay. You think it was a quote question? I think it was a quote question, but I can't really remember. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, but, but but it was like, like it was Hebrews, because I definitely remember it being Hebrews. And it was like, let's say it was a quote question. It was like, quote, Hebrew. Oh, I messed up. So, but but by saying Hebrew, people were like, okay, he was trying to say Hebrews. So it's kind of like, I'm definitely not, if I didn't throw out the question, I would definitely be not asking from first and second Peter and theoretically, if I'm restarting the preamble prior to the restart of the preamble, uh, it is, it is legal for somebody on the stage, quote unquote, I mean, it's virtual, right? So <laughs> none of this would have happened in a virtual meet, but let's say we're on a, a physical stage. It would have been legal for a very quick strategy thing of you take this one or you sit, I'll take this one or something like that. Right. Um, that would have been legal prior to me starting the preamble. So therefore, I, I I felt like I had to toss the question because it was limiting down. It was information that limited away first and second Peter. Now, as it turned out, I replaced the question. And of course, CBQZ randomly replaced it and replaced it with something from Hebrews. So it didn't really matter um, in, in the sense that, but, but at least there was the, at least the chance that it could have been something other than Hebrews. Does that make sense? Yeah. And this is going to be a weird one because I don't really care. I think it's, I think it's fine to just award a foul. And even, I mean, three years that I was so prepared, you know, I was looking for not just, I didn't want to jump on a W, but I didn't want to jump on a TH or a J um, so I was watching for those mouse shapes, and I knew if I heard a specific chapter number, I could jump on just the chapter number because there was only one chapter reference multiple answer. Like, I had it so dialed in. But even in those years, and it was a Hebrews and First and Second Peter year, if you had asked a reference question and you got out the book name, and let's say it was Second Peter, I think Second Peter's shorter than First Peter, and then someone fouled and you're rereading it, I don't know what I would have been doing differently like maybe I could have done a quick mental set based on um, the question type and the book 
name to make sure I knew if one of those chapters was one I could jump super fast on. But I don't, I don't know how much of a material difference that knowledge is really making when I go ahead and jump. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I totally agree. I think I think for the individual, it makes very little difference, right? Theoretically, right? Um, especially if you're a full material quizzer, right? Um, but even if you're not, right? Like, like I don't know that it makes a ton of difference. I think what makes a difference is if you're on the stage with a team that that has specialized in slices of the material, right? So let's say you've got a second Peter uh, specialist. I don't know that there is such a thing, but let's say, let's say you you do, right? There, there's somebody who, you know, had some struggles memorizing through Hebrews, but then towards the end of the season, like really, really just nailed, dialed in Second Peter, right? And you know that they're probably not going to hit a 90, you know, in the quiz. And let's say this is a district level, right? Not an internationals level. So this is a district level and like the, the, this, this, um, I'll call him a third chair, you know, quizzer uh, is, you know, if there's a question on second Peter, they've got a really good chance of getting it. If it's not on second Peter, they have a low probability of getting it. And you've got the early part of the preamble out that, that qualifies the question as being from second Peter. Then the quiz master messes up a little bit, has to restart, or there's a foul from another team, right? And the quiz master has to restart the preamble prior to calling the question type. It's legal for the captain of that team to say, everybody sit, sit except for Josh, right? Because Josh is the second Peter person, right? And you can make that like explicitly clear in that moment. Whereas like, say in an, in another instant, you might say, well, generally lean towards having Josh take second Peter stuff, but not exclusively. You can actually make that, that strategic statement legally in that moment, because you know, the context of the, of the, uh, uh, or, you know, the, 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 the book of the, where the question is originating from. Yeah. And again, I don't care strongly one way or the other. I definitely, when it comes to competitive interests, take a more liberal view on what is part of the competition. So to me, if you are a captain or a team who is going to get out that extra information to your quizzers like, hey, everyone sit but Josh on this one, to me that's, hey, that team was better prepared and this is a situation they can take advantage of. And I don't have a problem with that. I also would not have a problem saying any jump after the final question from the quiz master is, is an awarded jump. I wouldn't have any problem with that either. I think it would simplify a lot of simplify a lot of these edge cases, but you would definitely have the unfortunate times where a quizzer totally didn't mean to jump. And there's been a handful of times that quizzers will jump on according to, right? And it's nice to be able to just award a foul in those cases. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we can solve that a different way. I mean, I think if, if a quizzer jumps on according to, um, clearly they've made a mistake. They, they're not going to be able to get the question. So I think they, uh, just say, they, they just say, you know, thanks, but no, I'm not going to be able to get it. Or they stand and then they sit back down. Sort of the, the quizzer sitting back on their seat is sort of this universal signal of like, I'm giving up. And so, you know, I think if somebody, if somebody jumps according to, and then stands and then sits back down, doesn't say a word, the quiz master says, okay, good try. And then counts it as an error and moves on the foul sort of thing just seems kind of weird to me. Um, but again, I don't know, maybe I'm turning this around. I definitely think that I definitely think if I'm, if I've started the book name or even started to mouth the book name, it shouldn't be a foul. It should be an error. But if I'm in according to, and, or even according, and I haven't started to, I could, I could see the argument of a foul. Sure. So here's a question. The way that the rulebook is currently written, if you are reading one of these question types and a quizzer jumps in the book name and you award a foul, do you think you should um, use a different question? I, well, hmm. I think yes. There's no harm. This is the thing. I think there's no harm in, in using a different question. Um, there is potential harm, although probably very, 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 very little in using the same question, like gotcha. replacing, re replacing a question, the cost of replacing a question is super cheap. I mean, even with pre-printed, you know, quizzes, um, it's super easy to do. 
Um, with CBQZ, it's ludicrously easy to do. I mean, you just press a button, right? And magically you get another question, right? Um, so the cost of doing that is so tiny. I just, I don't see a reason not to. Yeah, especially because you're replacing it with the exact same type. And because I'm always so cautious about um, unconsciously being preferential towards quizzers. Right. And I just don't see any way in this situation where you could even unconsciously. I mean, one of the key situations that came to mind was, I think it was district championships, finals, and question 20 came up, and there was at least two teams really, really close. And as soon as I saw the question type, I knew which team was going to win. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And in that situation, I definitely want no ability for myself to change the question type for, like, any crazy reason. Um, But if it was – if I'm reading a chapter reference and someone fouls in the book name, well, I have to replace it with another single-answer chapter reference. You know, there's no no wiggle room. So, I mean, I guess it could be on a certain book, and you know that one team is really good at that book and another team is not. But uh, that's probably too far in the weeds. All right. Um, I probably disagree with you on that point. I would stick with the same question, but I don't really care. <laughs> but what do you think about my foul, removing the foul idea? Yeah, I don't. I th- I think it's fine, and I don't know if I have a strong feeling one way or the other. Because I think removing the fouls is makes things life a little bit simpler on me as a quiz master. But I think it, in the long run, is worse for the quizzer. Which I I know that you probably think that consistency will always benefit the quizzer. But I think when it comes to being ruled out of context or some things around reference questions, a little bit of judgment or subjectivity being left up to the quiz master is actually better for the quizzers in the long run. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you on both accounts. Um, I I like there being no subjectivity to the quiz master, and I think there are certain cases where subjectivity can be a good thing. Um, so... So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sort of I like the idea of removing the, removing the foul option and just turning it into an error. But at the same time, my level of care uh, about this and my my level of passion on this particular topic between one and ten is like point five. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. All right. So the next discussion topic is I have a theory um, that the strength of a district has a very cyclical nature, unrelated to most things. So not related to who the district coordinator is or the specific structure of the district or necessarily how big it is. Um, do you want me to dive deeper into it or do you want to start commenting on things right now? Well, I will comment by saying I completely agree, but go deeper so I can agree, I can agree more. <laughs> so I started, I keep tons and tons of stats and I often just play around with them to see what comes out. And one thing that I track is the average PNW individual average at Great West and internationals year over year. So for me, like Great West, I will definitely track how many teams PNW took and how many quizzers we took so that I know if we had four or five person teams because we've had both over the years. I will also track how many other teams there were and how many other quizzers there were. But then I will say, as a whole, how much did PNW average, and what does that come out to per quizzer? And I do that at internationals as well. Well, I just decided to graph that numbered internationals over the over um, with years on the x-axis, and it followed a like almost um, is it a sine curve, just like a normal wave. And I was like, whoa, this looks really way more orderly than I would have expected this to look. It just seems like randomly you get really good quizzers all at the same time. And that's not due to, oh, we had a great district coordinator or we had great program leaders necessarily, right? But there are impacts from those. But I think in over something like how your quizzers do internationals, it's it's really quite small. Um, and to me, it just seemed random. You know, oh, we just happened to have these siblings show up at the same time. We um, Or this church joined at this time. But because it looks cyclical, I started to dig into it more, and that's where I developed this theory that when your district is strong, which does happen randomly, it squeezes out all of the quizzers that aren't really at the top level. So a greater percentage of the correct questions in a year are gotten by your top 10 quizzers, 14 quizzers, 8 quizzers, like whatever. Like those are all like really good, like averaging 80s or uh, for the whole year. And as a result, that kind of middle class or next tier has way less opportunity 
to get questions and really start that feedback loop of, oh, I got questions. That was fun. I want to get more questions. How do I get more questions? Um, and really get that flywheel going. And they just don't develop very – they develop at a slower rate over time. And in the long run, they are a less good quizzer than they would have been otherwise. On the flip side, if the district is weak at the top – then the correct questions are more spread throughout the district. They're less centralized at the top. Um, and as a result, you have quizzers at every level. And I'll call levels like quizzers at average 60, quizzers at average 40 and 20. At every level, they're getting questions. And I think getting questions is just about the most encouraging thing for a quizzer. And the more quizzers that you can have getting questions at whatever level they're at currently gives them encouragement and motivation to increase that level. And so in years where the district is weak, you have this happening to a greater degree at all levels of the district, which means two to four years down the road, all of those quizzers are, are a lot stronger than they would have been and are now really, really good quizzers, at which time they're, um, you're seeing your, uh, all the rest of the district be squeezed out and you just kind of repeat this cycle over time. And... It, it seems like over the last 15 years or so, there's been a couple um, multi-year runs where PNW has been very, very strong. Um, and maybe not necessarily pure performance-wise internationals, but just seeing material knowledge and stuff like that. And right after those multi-year runs, the district seemed to get a lot weaker really fast. And I always attribute it to, like, hey, we randomly had a really good crop of quizzers and then they all graduated. Well, of course that's going to happen. And I think that definitely is, is some of it. You're just going to see that cycle. But I think that cycle has a, a, a much more long-lasting effect than I previously thought. Well, yeah. I mean, I, that totally seems logical to me, and I totally agree. I, I think there's some impact coaches can have. But really, I think what coaches do is they can take a good quizzer that's going to put in a lot of effort, and they can sort of help sharpen that quizzer. But I don't know that a coach can really make a giant difference in terms of motivation, right? I, I, I think a coach can help uh, quizzers not feel disillusioned, but really going from sort of good to great is like like a, a coach can kind of help there. But if a quizzer sort of average, taking a quizzer from average to good is it's really something that has to come from the quizzer. And I think the best way to make that happen is the motivation factor of getting questions. The The thrill of actually doing well uh, is sort of a, you know, a, a wonderful drug that kind of reinforces the, the study habits that then compounds to doing well and even better at the next meet and so on and so forth. Um, so, so yeah, I think bottom line, maybe there's a, a slight value that a coach can provide but in terms of like officials or like you know quiz masters or or the district coordinator like like yeah there's i i can't i, I don't even i i can't imagine anything that a district coordinator will would do or a quiz master would do that would necessarily like lead toward higher averages i think they can certainly make quizzing um a dc or a qm uh, or an AJ or any official can certainly have a role to play in 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 making the program fun, making the process fun, enjoyable, uh, not making it terribly stressful, you know, for the quizzers, that kind of thing. And that has positive uh, influences in terms of like ensuring that the program grows like and, and has longevity over, you know, season to season to season. So this is not to say that DCs don't have a very, very important role to play. But in terms of like, you know, filtering that into actual averages, year to date averages, like, yeah, I, I don't see the I don't necessarily see the connection there, although maybe there's sort of a very, very long curve influence. Right. So like if you have a DC that's particularly focused on growth of churches in a in a program that could have a very long tail effect uh slight effect on on averages just because like you know uh is it to what degree does this sinusoidal wave that you've discovered alter itself based on district size oh i think that actually has a large thing to do with it you know you just have more bites at the apple is not a great but you just have more opportunities to just have quizzers that are really into quizzing um the more 
um, overall quizzers that you have. Um, I think. But would I had that a really thought. make a huge dis- difference, though? Like, like imagine, let's say you've got a district of say, uh, you know, eighteen teams, and you have a district of uh, twenty-four uh, teams, right? Or, well, let's make it a little different. Uh, twenty-four teams versus sixteen teams, right? Would you would you not still have the same sort of effects taking place that you're talking about? The, like the sinusoidal wave is still going to be there, right? You're still going to, yeah, those effects are all present. But I just think, in general, however many internationals quizzers... I mean, internationals quizzers is a relative statement. But let's just say there is some minimum threshold for whatever an internationals quizzer is. However many of those you had in um, the 16 team years, even if it um, ebbs and flows over the years, you're just going to have more of them if you have 24 teams. You know, that's not going to hold true every single year, but I think over time, just having purely marked quizzers, the odds that you get another quizzard that um, is above that threshold is absolutely going to increase. It's not not as smooth and clean as I might be presenting it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's absolutely going to be the case. I remember what I was going to say is, I think one way that a... um, a district structure can influence this is people, I I believe people learn best when they are challenged um, a little bit beyond their current ability level, right? So not challenged far beyond or not not challenged at all, but challenged just a little bit beyond. And so districts that are bigger have more of an ability to do things like divisions, greater number of brackets, and it's really a way of filtering quizzers into whatever ability level, level they are right now and challenging them a little bit above that. And I think that that can have long-term positive impacts. And when you're bigger, you just have more of an ability to do that. Um, I think there's definitely also benefits to having everyone quiz together. You know, if you have a young rookie who knows a very small amount of material without references, purely being in, in quizzes with quizzers who are very, very accomplished, um, some portion of the time um, would probably not be discouraging but would be illuminating as to what's possible. If you were in quizzes against that level every single time, it would be very, very discouraging. Um, and so I think some of both is good, which is why I like PNW's model, which I'm sure is not is used all over. You know, if prelims with everyone, and then filter you out into brackets. Um, but some districts are larger than us and have even more ability to um, go into divisions that you have an opportunity to uh, move up from. And I think all of that can... Um, really motivate quizzers and give them that feedback from getting questions at whatever level they are at right now. Yeah, totally agree. I think that's all of our topics for today. It was kind of a short one. It was a little bit. We should talk about, we could talk about kind of what's going to happen the rest of the season. I mean, things are changing on a day by day sort of basis um, in terms of, you know, what's going on with uh, our antivirus struggles and what's going on with planning both in PNW and at the, you know, national, international levels and so forth. So one thing that, you know, we, we had mentioned before, Great West is not going to be a thing in terms of an in-person uh, sort of meet. Uh, we had talked about uh, district championships being kind of a big question mark. Well, district championships in person is canceled. But because of the success of of our virtual meet this past weekend, uh, the board has decided that we are going to attempt to do district championships as a virtual meet, but things are going to be a little bit different uh, than normal district championships. So normally, district championships is a team-based qualification. You have to be in the top uh, certain number of teams, top uh, you know 15, top 18, whatever it, it happens to be based on the overall size of the district. What we're going to try to do this time is actually just do essentially another virtual quiz meet, another district level virtual quiz meet. And it'll be the same weekend uh, that we had planned our district championship meet on. In terms of registration, we're going to do kind of the same idea of of registration that we did for the virtual meet attempt to get uh, churches to put teams together and be able to push a, you know, a given set of teams from uh, delegates or or, uh, quizzer delegates from their churches. But if there is a lone quizzer here and there that isn't able to, for whatever reason, get a full team from their church 
to participate, then we will entertain the idea of either forming those quizzers into a team amongst themselves, uh, a, uh, and they get to name themselves, or taking individuals and placing them within uh, teams that exist from other churches and so forth to try to give everyone an opportunity to participate if they can. So expect a couple of big announcements about that upcoming. Uh, I think the decision about this was made uh, just a, like a couple hours ago. So, you know, hey, if you're an Inside Quizzing listener, you get first information, first access to the information, but uh, formal, more formal announcements will be going out by email and Facebook and Twitter and so forth in the very, very near future so that we can plan for this thing. And I, if I remember correctly, the, the dates are April 17th and 18th, Friday and Saturday. Uh, so that is not that far away. It's like, uh, what, four weeks away or three weeks away or something like that. So pretty close. Yeah. The, how to do teams like that reminds me of a question that I had about districts that do divisions, which was, let's say you have a really small church and they have five quizzers or four quizzers, and only one of them wants to be in either the A division or the B division or the C division or whatever division. How does that work? And I remember asking a district, I don't remember specifically which one it was, if they would combine quizzers from different churches onto a team for that very reason. And I believe the answer was yes. And so those are definitely logistical issues that you have to handle if you do divisions, but I think you can have wonderful positive impacts from doing that because quizzers are going to be challenged at the level that they're at. Yes, indeed. Well, so speaking of, of, of team formation strategies, so we've got one and only one virtual quiz meet under our belt in terms of experience. Uh, so from your perspective, Scott, if you were a coach and you had several quizzers who from your church wanted to participate in the upcoming virtual meet on, uh, April, you know, 17th and 17th and 18th, what sort of strategies would you use to form up teams? Would you keep them in the same team that they had been, uh, quizzing under, you know, it, for the in-person traditional meets for the year, just for consistency's sake, would you try to scramble them up? Uh, and if so, what sort of, what sort of experience or, or wisdom did you get from participating in the virtual meet that would kind of come to play in terms of being a coach? I don't know if anything from the virtual meet would actually factor into how I would construct teams if I was a coach. I think you just have to know what the motivations of your quizzers are. And if this meet is indeed not counting for anything, you have a lot more freedom to construct your teams. Because I've, I've long wanted to figure out a structure where all the main district meets during a year were only for team standings. And then there was one or two meets for individuals, which were the basis for Great West International selection, so that coaches could could work to construct their best possible teams for the team events without worrying that it would adversely um, it, that it would hurt their quizzers individual averages, which it definitely would. Um, but in this case, and if you have quizzers that really really want to see if they can be the best team overall, then hey, you can put them all on the same team and not worry that they are going to cannibalize each other's questions because that doesn't matter. They're just trying to do the best that they can as a team. Or conversely, um, maybe you want um, all of your best quizzers placed um, equally throughout however many teams that you have to really captain those teams and mentor other quizzers. And originally, maybe you wanted to construct a team strong enough to be in the semifinals so that your quizzer with individual aspirations got their 100% weight on their scores. But now that doesn't matter. And you can spread your quizzers around if that is their motivation and yours. So I think you have a lot more freedom to pick and choose there, which I think is great. I always hated how team success and individual success were really diametrically opposed and were both determined in the same competition. Yeah, indeed. Well, so here's a question for you. If we are, well, hopefully this whole virtual quizzing thing doesn't really last very long in terms of being forced to do it for a lot of stuff. So, I mean, we're talking about a virtual, you know, district championships or really, we shouldn't even call it that. It's really more virtual, all district final meet of the year event thing. I don't know. Well, I'll come up with a better name. Um, but, uh, 
you know, and then maybe we have to resort to doing a virtual internationals, hopefully not, but we'll, we'll kind of see that, how that shakes out over maybe the next few uh, weeks or a month or two or something like that. But my great hope, and I think everyone's great hope is by the fall of next year, this will all be over and it'll be a distant memory. And we just go back to doing in-person meets and uh, virtual quizzing will be sort of this odd little asterisks in our memories of something that happened in the way back times. But maybe virtual quizzing doesn't go away. Maybe virtual quizzing becomes kind of like another kind of fun thing to do. Never replacing in-person meets because it can't, right? And never trying to compete with or or be like in-person meets because I, I don't think it can go there. But as a way to maybe say like, well, you know, we have our however many in-person meets during the year, but we also have a couple of virtual meets every so often. Maybe we do a virtual meet or two over the summer. There, it, it certainly provides us the opportunity of increased fellowship between districts, right? So, you know, this idea of saying, well, yeah, you know, there's a district over, like we'll, we'll pick on Metro because <laughs> I've, I've been talking a lot with, with Alan over the last, like almost every day for the last couple of weeks or so, um, which has been awesome. Al Alan is such an awesome guy. Like every, every day, a word of encouragement. He was, you know, uh, over in, uh, in Long Island and he was watching our virtual quiz in real time and praying for us and, it was, he was, it's just so awesome to have that kind of support, even though he's so physically far away. But the idea of saying, you know, we want to have an open invitational quiz meet between say P and W and Metro and maybe a couple other districts is in person, practically non-viable. Uh, that that's basically what internationals is doing. And even internationals, there's some, you know, pretty significant cost and limiting, limiting factors that go on in there. Uh, but if we were talking about a virtual meet, uh, we could totally put that uh, to, together, right? There's there's really very little logistical overhead and, and effort required. I mean, there's still, you know, you have to put officials together. You have to, there's, there's definitely a logistical consideration there, but it's definitely not daunting. We can definitely do something like that. So maybe next year or in future years, we supplement an in-person quizzing schedule with a couple of virtual meets every so often for increased long distance fellowships and so forth. So in that kind of world, um, hypothetically, if we do get there, who knows, but if we do get to that kind of world, do we keep do do we consider virtual quiz meets to be in a different league of stats, but we actually keep and record and award based on those stats? I think you totally can, and I have quite a few thoughts. You definitely can't rep replace in-person quizzing for lots of reasons. You know, physical jumping, physical jumping, camaraderie and fellowship, um, the the road trip. There's so many positive things around in-person quizzing that you just don't get virtually um, that would be greatly missed. Now, you, there are definitely logistical um, obstacles that districts have that would make virtual quizzing nice as a tool. I know CMD is very, very far-flung, their churches, because it's over a tremendous geographical area, and they have some quizzers that do not attend Great West because of the distance, and may not attend some of their meets because of the distance. Um, and something like virtual quizzing would be a tool to have all of your quizzers who want to participate be able to participate and participate easily. I know that within PNW, if there's like maybe quizzers at a new church that want to start up, you need not just a coach willing to be the chaperone and um, the logistical kind of leader of that program. They have to know how to run a quiz practice. And so you need to get someone there to either teach them or show up on a random practice day to like help out with that. Well, if virtual quizzing is a thing, it's way, way easy to just include another quizzer from a new church. And they can have a coach of their team who is totally willing to support them but doesn't know anything about quizzing at the get-go. And that would be, you know, another great tool there. I know that when PNW was pretty big back in the late, um, late 80s and the 90s, there were regional quiz meets and you just, you had to split up the regionals based on, you know, how do we split the district in half in the most um, like geographical way without really regard given to, Oh man, like 
70% of our top 25 quizzers are in this one region. And so you could definitely argue that the statistical outcomes of those regionals are going to be somewhat skewed already and maybe not differently skewed or bad than the results from virtual quizzing, right? There's kind of pros and cons to everything. And I think, and this is something you've already toyed with um, idea-wise, if there was a way to have a video recording of a quiz master reading every single question and a way for that recording to be paused at the moment a quizzer jumps, you strip out all the, like a great bulk of the, the downside of virtual quizzing in that there is enough split-second lag and quizzing happens so precisely that that split-second lag is enough to get an, an extra one or two syllables out, which drastically changes the competitive landscape, especially among very, very top quizzers. But if there's a situation where maybe the video started playing at the same, like at the same time for each of them, but um, it could be slightly off for each, but they're still jumping and having it pause, and somehow whatever software is written knows who won the jump, if that makes sense. Um, and they can see the quiz master, hear the quiz master, and then there would be absolutely no um, extra syllables based on technology. And then they, they could answer the question. You could get pretty, pretty close um, and be able to trust the results, especially um, after I talked about those current logistical things that we have to work around. You know, CMD can only have two district meets a year, I believe, because they are so far flung. Other districts like North Central can have seven or six, however many. And those are definitely differences within districts driven by ge geography and logistics that we wish didn't have to be managed around. And if there was a tool like virtual quizzing, it could be managed around better. Yeah, I see I see your argument there, and I see your point, and I, I tend to agree. I think the there's a difference enough between traditional quizzing and virtual quizzing that you couldn't really merge the stats. Um, so like, like with regionals and district uh, quizzing, it's still at the regional. It's not the entire district. It's only a slice of the district, but it is an in-person meet. Right. And so like, to me, like I look at saying, yeah, there might be clusters of, you know, unequal, you know, competition in one region versus another that's going to have impact on the score, but it's still the same sort of, it's still the same thing, right? It's still an in-person meet, right? Um, I think virtual quizzing is enough different. There is, there is, there's enough missing and different in a virtual context than a, than an in-person context that it isn't really the same sport. Like, I think it's a good thing, right? Like, I, like, don't get me wrong. I, I, I think virtual quizzing is fantastic and it's a tool. And I think we have some great opportunities to use the tool more. And so like, you know, in, in some of the ways that you're talking about with, with wider districts that, that can actually do more, uh, uh, sort of things, uh, even in PNW where uh, distance isn't quite as a gigantic problem, uh, we can still do more things. We can do invitationals across district lines. All of these sorts of things start to open up with quizzing. It's still different enough that the stats while like I I'm okay with, with merging or not merging. That's not the right word. I'm, I'm fine with combining stats from multiple virtual meets and I'm certainly, of course, fine with, because we do all the time, merging stats or combining stats between multiple in-person meets. But those two sort of sides of the coin need to stay separate. It, to me, it's almost like, you know, adult league quizzing is fun and useful and we're tracking stats. Uh, but we would never try to equate an adult league quiz with like an, a quizzer, uh, a youth uh, league quiz, right? We wouldn't, we wouldn't list those two things as being equivalent. They're, they're, they're different. Um, similarly, it's sort of like, um, you know, table tennis versus regular tennis, or I don't know what tennis is. Regular tennis just called tennis, I guess. I don't know. Um, versus table tennis, right? The, they're both sports. Uh, they both require, you know, a certain set of skills as Liam Neeson says, but, uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have one person move from one sport to the other, or the stats from one sport to the other. They're just, there's two sort of siloed uh, uh, chunks in that regard, right? Yeah, I can see that. And I think, I think it can still have its place. You know, maybe we do, we can do two scramble meets instead of one, or maybe the, 
mid-November through December time period is really difficult to have a quiz meet. Maybe the quiz meet in that time period is a virtual one. Um, maybe we're able to have a quiz meet sometime after January for your bottom X number of teams, um, which would be extra, which would basically be creating a pseudo division, right, for one meet. And it would be extra encouragement and quizzing for those quizzers, which I think would work totally fine in a virtual quizzing format. Um, I definitely think if you wanted to hold just a whole, a full-on district meet and count it at all, or even at a discounted weight, um, you probably would have to do a lot more thinking about it. But I don't, I don't think the bar for, especially like a district meet, has to be, is it as good or as the same as an in-person district meet? I don't think that's the correct bar. I think that might be the correct bar for like Great West or Winter Nationals or Internationals when it's just a totally different animal and virtual quizzing is like very, very different. Um, but for a district, you know, maybe you're a small district but spread out or churches aren't big enough to host or, you know, I don't, I don't know what the manner of things you might have to manage would be. But I don't, I wouldn't say outright it. There's no way it can count. I think there's a, a scenario and a place for it and the threshold is lower than is it the exact same or close enough to in-person quizzing. Yeah, fair enough. I think I think I, I where I'm at right now, I would feel very comfortable having more virtual quiz meets and keeping those stats as a, a, you know, collected them together comparing virtual meet to virtual meet and even having like you know, tracking individual averages across and and team placements across virtual meets too, right? The idea of saying, you know, ultimately a quizzer might end up with two year-to-date averages, right? A year-to-date average for in-person meets and a year-to-date average for virtual meets. It's hard for me to then somehow link those two together. Um, maybe I could change my mind, right? And and maybe this is just a lack of a lot of data because I mean, I guess it's one of those things where I would want to see more data over time. So maybe if we do, uh, you know, several different uh, virtual meets, several different in-person meets, and we're keeping those stats separate. And then over the course of like two seasons, you know, Scott comes to me and says, Hey, Griffin, look at this, these data, this data tracks like almost perfectly. Um, then I think, or, or if you say like, you know, if you run this math formula, this is how we can make virtual quizzing, uh, equate to an in-person meet or something like that, then maybe I would change my mind, but I, I'd, I'd want to see the data before I got more comfortable doing that. So this might be an unfair question to pose, but um, normally PNW has six meets that count each year. What if I told you you had to choose right now for next year between four meets or four in-person meets and two virtual meets, all of which count? Okay. Well, then I would definitely, yeah. So I would definitely choose the, 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 the four plus two because it... Yeah, I would definitely choose the four plus two, but I would definitely want to have the virtual meets be discounted uh, in some way. Sure. And I, th I think the more that this is done, um, the more data that you will have to know if it can count at all, um, how much to discount, things like that. Yeah, that's a really good thought experiment. That's a really good question for, you know, to, to, to sort of in terms of how to think about this. That's, I, it's not, I like it's, that a lot. It's partially not fair because you could totally have two virtual meets and just not count them. I think it would be worth digging into how much we think meets both being in person and counting drive quizzer motivation and desire to study. Um, because if having a virtual meet that also doesn't count, doesn't affect that at all, like doesn't diminish that at all then um, there's no reason to count it, you know? But I don't know that that would be the case. I mean, as we saw, this meet didn't count this past weekend, and we had 28 quizzers instead of 100. True. But, I mean, at the same time, I don't know that people didn't participate because it didn't count. Like, I, I, sure. I think... We, we don't, I, we don't I, know there, one way or the other. 
Yeah. Um, I, I think a lot of people didn't participate because of the nature of, of it being kind of last minute and, uh, you know, kind of new. I know there were some quizzers who just weren't able to, uh, because, I mean, you do need to have basically a laptop or a desktop or something. You have to have a decent internet connection. Not everybody has all of those things. So, you know, it, it does solve some problems in terms of distance and logistics and, and, you know, social isolation in terms of, well, sorry, physical uh, isolation in terms of, you know, antivirus measures right now, but it adds logistical problems around the idea of internet and technology. And not every quizzer has access to all of that all the time. Um, and it certainly makes it harder for certain quizzers to be able to participate in that context. So, yeah. I, that's a big deal, right? Because um, this past weekend didn't count. And so when there were problems, no one had to stress about it because there were no stakes. But in a scenario where it does count, if a quizzer is not able to participate merely because they couldn't figure out how to log into the room, well, we don't want technical knowledge to also be a factor in your quizzing score. <laughs> and so it would have been a much different scenario, <laughs> management and leadership-wise, right, to figure out all of those things and decide what matters and what doesn't. And most of it would absolutely matter. Yeah. And I think, I think to me, that's where I have a hard time merging the in-person and the virtual. Because, like, if, if somebody says... If somebody is in a position where they're like, you know, I just can't get access to a reliably, right, for every virtual meet, I can't get access to a laptop or where I live, the Internet uh, connectivity, like, you know, my parents live on a farm kind of in the middle of nowhere. The the Internet is is just kind of a luxury. We don't we don't have a, a very strong Internet connection. So participating in virtual meets is you know, really not something that's viable for me to compete in. Um, so I w and, and that's totally fair. That person sort of self censors in a sense, in a sense, right? So it would be the equivalent of somebody that lives in the middle of nowhere, really far away from any church that has a quizzing program. They might want to participate in quizzing, but they can't. So they don't. So they filter themselves from in-person meets because they're like, well, maybe I can drive to a couple of these meets, but I can't drive to all of them. Uh, and that severely hurts my in-person score, whereas, you know, virtual meets, I could attend every single one of them, right? So in a sense, both of those scenarios have people that sort of, they have self-limiting factors, So, but they're different self-limiting factors. And so like the quizzer who's able to compete both in-person and virtual versus the quizzer who can only do one versus the other, I wouldn't want to penalize a quizzer who can compete in one way, but can't compete in another way because they can't compete in the other way. Sure. It is interesting because we're comparing it against the baseline, which is already established where we're fine. Maybe having quizzers self filter because of physical distance, you know? Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm fine with quizzers self filtering for, from virtual for technical reasons, right. Or even preferential reasons. Right. I think that's totally reasonable. I just don't want to then have that become a disillusionment for somebody who is not interested in self-filtering for in-person and in fact is very eager to, you know, participate in person, but is going to have a really hard time virtually. I don't want them to feel disillusioned about their in-person stuff, like like saying, oh, okay, sure, we're going to discount the, the virtual stuff to be only 20% of my score, but that means 20% of my score year to date is pulled down because of the, of the virtual context. I don't want that person to feel disillusioned and say like, well, I'll never be able to make internationals. Um, so I'm not going to bother trying. Um, but I'm totally cool with the idea of saying like, yeah, we have awards and, you know, escalation paths for, or promotion paths for in-person, right. For great West and, and internationals, maybe we do sort of a parallel track for virtual to say like, you know, if you, decide to participate in virtual, there are escalation paths there as well. Yeah. Very interesting. Of course, I'm totally putting the cart before the horse because we've had one virtual meet. So we might encounter a problem where this doesn't scale past, you know, um, 75 people, but, but who knows? Yeah. I think much, much more testing and data is required before you can even consider it being viable for a, for one district's meet that counts. Yeah. Yeah, totally. 
Well, the steaks are definitely high, and I think I smell the steaks actually getting cooked downstairs. So on that bombshell, uh, we should close so that I can go eat some yummy steak. So with that said, very much want to hear any sort of thoughts that you have, whether you're from PNW or outside of PNW. Would very much like to hear your thoughts about virtual quizzing. We'd like to hear your thoughts about the metafoul discussion and the theory of cyclical uh, or the cyclical nature. How do you want to call it? The cyclical nature theory. I'm not sure why that's so hard for me to say, um, but please email us at iq at cbqz.org and you can follow us on Twitter. Our, our account is at inside quizzing. And with that, I will say thank you all for listening and thank you, Scott. How about let's call it the theory, the, the theory of cyclical district strength. All right. The theory of cyclical district strength. But somebody who is not me is going to say it because apparently that tongue <laughs> that ties my tongue. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. 